Welcome to the Wandering Toward Wisdom podcast. Today, Joel and I talk about Christmas, specifically about the meaning of the second person of the Holy Trinity becoming flesh. That is the first advent. What are the implications of this for our understanding of God's nature and our own nature? Was the incarnation only necessary because of sin? How does God becoming man mess with our tendency to worship sophistic idols? And why won't Joel give us a quick explanation of Kant's third critique? These and other questions we might answer. Wondering Toward Wisdom is a part of the Tactical Faith Podcast Network. Check out tacticalfaith.com for our other podcasts, TF Radio, and find out about us, what we're doing, and how you can support us. You can also contact me and Joel directly at wondering at tacticalfaith.com or tweet us at wonderingwisdom. And in both of those, there's an underscore where the A or the O would be in wondering. Have a Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Almost Christmas, or maybe Christmas, or maybe Christmas is over, uh, depending on when you're listening to this. But this is our last podcast before Christmas of 2020. Today we're talking about, we're going to finish up talking about what Advent is about. And in this one, because it's the Christmas one, we're going to be talking about the some of the meaning surrounding that first Advent when Christ, uh, when Jesus was born. Uh, the stories we read about at the beginning of the Gospels and that hopefully you all are talking about around Christmas. To start that off, I think we'll probably just go through a list of a few a few topics. This isn't really terribly well organized, but we'll go through some of the some of the main ideas of what we think is important about this about Christmas. So to start that off, I'm just going to toss it to Joel and I'm not going to ask him a, to explain Kant's critique of judgment, but <laughs> what is the, maybe some of the most important things that you can think of related to that first advent? Well, I, the incarnation, I'm going to start off and wade into the heretic, possibly heretical waters uh, from the get go. Uh, what a way to end the year. But um, I think the incarnation was always, always going to happen, whether there was a fall or not. It, it, the incarnation was the divine becoming human, the second person of the triune God becoming human, which allows humanity to participate in that divine triune relationship. And the, and and th- that was absolutely necessary. As the created, we could not participate with the divine without the divine becoming human. And so th- this is a huge moment. The divine becomes human, becomes one of us, and and opens that relationship up in a new way that that becomes more even more intimate than what Adam and Eve had in the garden, where they were able to walk. Uh, in the cool of the day with with God. I mean, I think there's a good argument to be made that even the crucifixion or something akin to that might have been necessary. Uh, and it sounds strange to say that, but the, the reason is, is because God, Jesus, in some way, God becoming flesh and giving himself for us is a representation of, of the Father, the clearest representation of the Father. When Jesus is constantly saying, if you see me, you've seen the Father, 
it's all surrounded with this idea of humility, becoming a servant. And if you look in the Philippians 2 passage, becoming a servant even to the point of death, it's showing that God's self-givingness that began at creation and continues on really, I mean, you could even, we could get into, we could delve into the nature of the metaphysics of the Trinity and get really confusing, but arguably God's very nature is that of a self is, is not arguably, it seems to be the case that God's very nature is self-givingness so that others might have life. And so Christ becoming flesh it, and therefore representing the father, representing the very nature of God by taking on flesh. This is really important. And the reason why it's really important is because we tend to see, we have a, te- we have a tendency to, to see Jesus becoming flesh, dwelling among us, uh, sacri- giving himself for us as sort of a, oops, plan A didn't work. I guess we got to run to plan B and have Jesus die for us. Uh, like so that's the Trinity's up there thinking, oh, uh, they messed up. But I'm not really sure that's what's going on. Who knows if it's possible that we would have made it without sinning and all that, all that kind of stuff. But I think it's the case that no matter what, uh, as much as Joel wants to be a heretic, I think it is the case <laughs> that that Christ had to become flesh because God is always coming to us. He's always coming to us. That's that's how he did. He pours out of himself. He pours out himself, gives of himself, and then comes to us. And you can look at creation sort of like, and I, maybe this isn't the proper way to do it. And it's, I think it's hard to, but I'm, I'm looking at it from sort of a, a, a biblical metaphysical view. It's almost as if there is there is nothing but God. And then God creates space for something other than himself. And then fills that space with life and light and puts us over it, right? And so, uh, but he's created something apart from himself, but he wants that, he wants those, he wants that life to be caught up in the life of, into his own life. He doesn't want to just have us grow up until we're adults and say, all right, have a good life and leave us alone. He wants to then draw us back into the life of the Trinity. And so, this is why we're identified with Christ, we're joined with Christ, we're united with Christ, we're called sons of God. All these, all this kind of language that means that we're being brought into that relationship. And this is why we pray to the Father, our Father in heaven. It's not because I am the Son of God in the sense that I'm the second person of the Trinity, but I'm being identified with the Son of God, who is the second person of the Trinity. And so therefore, I can, I am in a relationship to God the Father even as Christ is in a relationship to God the Father. That's what salvation is. And so Christ coming in flesh, taking on creation, the the creator taking on creation, the eternal taking on the historical, however you want to put this, this oddness of, of God come, becoming flesh, uh, makes so that we can now relate to God in that way, God the Father in that way. And that had to happen. This isn't a plan B because of sin. This is... This is the very fundamental nature of reality. Uh, and so this doesn't make sin not a big deal, but it means that so many of the things of Christian soteriology, of the, 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 our view of salvation, is stuff that, that kind of had to happen anyway, I think. Had to happen in the sense that God is 
a self-giving one who comes to us to bring us back to bring us to himself and and with the fall it, it, it you could think of it almost as we just god had to go a little farther to get us than maybe he would have without the fall yeah I mean, it's sort of it's sort of weird to think about things outside of the fall. I, I even wonder if the way we would view things would be a little bit different if we hadn't fallen. I'm not talking about theology, the metaphysical fundamentals or whatever, but I'm talking more about like the way that we view ourselves and soteriology. Like if we saw Christ becoming flesh and doing whatever Christ would have to do in terms of becoming flesh, we'd just say, yeah, that's naturally how it's supposed to be. Uh, I wonder what would have happened if we had sinned. So there's there's obviously some really important other elements that are connected to this too, right? One of them is that the physical world is not bad. Because if the physical world is fundamentally evil, God could not take the physical upon himself. God the Son could not take the physical upon himself and become that single person of the Trinity who is both God and person. But or sorry, no, God and person, sorry. We slapped across the face for making that distinction, as if those are distinct. God is personal. <laughs> but both God and a human person. And so Christ takes on the created world upon himself, which means the created world is not in and of itself evil, which is a strong tendency that we have in the Christian world is to be sort of Gnostic. We kind of flirt with Gnostic. We fiddle with Gnosticism a little bit. And we've kind of hit this. If you've listened to this podcast much, this is sort of a, it's it's our favored view. to (laughs) Well, well, even, even if you think about it, the language that we use leans in that direction. We say that Christ took on flesh, not became flesh. We, you know, we we use both those terms, but the fact that we say "take on," it's almost like it's something separate from who Christ fundamentally is in the incarnation. It's not that Christ became human for the thirty some odd years that he, you know, was on this earth, and then when he went back to heaven, he got rid of his humanity. No, he he still is human. He has a body. He is he is like us except he has his resurrected body and we are still waiting in in for ours. I mean that's the second advent kind of stuff that 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 we've already talked about and I'm I'm not going to dwell on tonight. But um when we when we think about Christ becoming human we we tend to think of it as almost like it's a god in human clothes and that's not the right way to think about it because <laughs> because god christ becomes human christ is human it's not something separate from christ's nature he is both fully human and fully divine and we we can't fully grasp that but we have to constantly push ourselves as we lean one way or the other towards more towards the divinity or more towards the humanity. We need to make sure we're, we're pushing ourselves back towards the both and not the either or. Yeah, this is there. There are a, a, a good portion of church history is built out of trying to figure out, trying to work out the Christological heresy. So if you look at something like the Nicene Creed, the main portion of it 
just goes on and on and on talking about Jesus, right? God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father. Yeah, uh, You know, it, it goes through this whole rigmarole trying to get, saying, okay, you need to avoid this, you need to avoid this, you need to avoid this. Uh, and Christ, uh, d- the Son of God, became flesh. So when we say, yeah, and it's true, when we took on flesh, we don't mean that it is, he's not the, uh, what is it, from uh, Men in Black 1, right? That roach thing that <laughs> Yeah, took on the you know walked around in people in in people suits. That that's not what Jesus was doing, and so Jesus remains human. Uh, which I've always thought that means that Jesus is kind of because he's physical, he must be located, like physically located somewhere in the universe. So uh, we're this is getting into the second advent kind of stuff again, but. <laughs> But, you know, I, I think when we talk about the kingdom of God, he, he is physically located in the kingdom of God, which is separate from the, like this, there's a kingdom reality. And I think we, re, we called it the earthly reality. And he may not be physically located as a person in the earthly reality, but he's physically located in the, in the kingdom reality. Um, now, what that means, that's if, if you're listening and you say, huh? That's probably the appropriate response because I would we would probably need to chat for about two hours and then at the end you might say, "That's nice, Joel." No, let's talk about something else. <laughs> Pat him on the head and send him away. Okay, well, so here's here's some other interesting things. We, you know, the, the thing about Christmas and the thing about Scripture is it doesn't start Jesus off as being some hero who breaks out of some mysterious place and comes in as a full-grown adult. It always starts with him being born. And he's he's stuck in a food trough uh, in a place where there's no space for him. So it's it's not a glorious birth in, in the way that we normally think of a glorious birth. And it's not a it's not a well-heralded one. In fact, it's part of his childhood is surrounded by atrocity, right? When that when the wise men show up and they unwisely uh, go to the wrong people asking for directions. And so I think it was before that was before Google Maps. And so, <laughs> but 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 yet that that kind of gets at this this the inauguration of the kingdom that happens in the incarnation because it was heralded to the shepherds. Like why why mm-hmm. would you go announce the, the birth of the king to shepherds? Well, it's saying there's something different about this kingdom that's being inaugurated in the incarnation. You know the, yeah. the wise the wise men recognized that there was something going on, but they 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 hadn't fully grasped that it's not this earthly kingdom but it's it's the kingdom of god that is inaugurated and so they made the mistake like travis said of going to the king of the earthly kingdom which did not take well to the idea that there was another king that was going to threaten his reign yeah and if you know about that guy that herod he was a, he, he was a bad guy he did a lot yeah. of nasty stuff. He became kind of paranoid, I think, near the end of his life. But him, his killing all the the young boys in a certain area is kind of fitting with his character. But one of the things that we that we see, and it even t- it talks about Jesus growing in wisdom, which is that's an interesting thing. We we and one of the things we try to do when when we one of the things we tend to do when we think about Jesus is we tend to think of him as being as sitting as essentially sort of sitting in a place of omnipotence, omniscience and so forth, and just knowing everything. 
and not struggling with the stuff that human beings have, like certain kinds of limitations. And when you look at, you know, when Jesus, when Jesus does, arguably Jesus's miracles are not because Jesus has a bunch of power. It's because Jesus is acting by the spirit and the spirit is doing the miracles. Uh, at least that's how I think scholars tend to tend to look at it. Um, you know, and when Jesus grows in wisdom, what does that mean? Doesn't he already know everything and isn't he fully wise? Well, I mean, he'd never been a human before. And so maybe that's something he he learned about. But who, you know, the, the kenosis, his self-emptying that's kind of described in Philippians 2, I think there's even still some debate about how much he self-emptied. Yeah. Uh, did he have foreknowledge or was he purely reliant uh, on the Father and the Holy Spirit giving him wisdom and direction and wrestling with life just the same way that we do. But again, which, which which also tells us that the power of the spirit is available to us too. Which is what Jesus said. Yeah. Even if we don't tap into it hardly ever, um, it's available to us because it was, it was Jesus's humanity that was working together with the spirit. It was the, you know, Jesus as human was working together with the spirit we, it seems like we can at least theoretically do that. Um, how that works, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not doing that. But um, it, the the thought that it could be, I, you know, if 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 Jesus is fully human, he he also shows us what humanity can be. Not in the sense that we can be fully divine as well, but that he's he's kind of saying. It's kind of like the the creator coming and saying, "No, this is how you're supposed to use the thing," um, and and you know it's like, "Oh, well, I didn't I didn't know what that switch was for. I didn't know what that button did, or or however it is." There's something there that I think we often lose sight of that that Jesus was is human. And, and in the same way that we're human, with the body, with, with the limitations, with, with, the, with the access to the spirit. Um, yeah. Even though after the resurrection, he seemed, to, he seemed to do, but maybe that was because he was fully, I don't know. He's doing some weird stuff after the resurrection. Right. But he hadn't turned into a ghost. He still ate food. It wasn't like, you know. And he was able to walk through walls. Yeah, and it he didn't leave, like the, leave the food as he walked through the wall. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> At least not that we know of. <laughs> There's a bunch of fish outside that room where the puzzles <laughs> were hiding. So uh, half digested. So <laughs> one of the things that takes place here, though, is you you recognize like that Jesus becoming flesh has has. Yeah, I mean, we're still pretty adept at it, but has made it more troublesome to create to 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 worship an idol or to make an image of god that is like an idol if you look at the exodus passage or the exodus story god saves you know yahweh saves the people out of egypt they're still sort of you know paganish they've been mixed and there's a good argument to be made that they were you know they had become pretty thoroughly paganized and they but anyway, they, they come out of Egypt, they're in awe at this God, and then Moses takes off for, you know, more than a month on top of a mountain, 
And they're like, all right, make us an idol. So they make a golden calf and they say, these are your gods who brought you out of Egypt, which some people would say that they're actually trying to make, they were making an image of what they believed Yahweh to be because they Mm -hmm. needed some sort of physical presence. And interestingly enough, they wanted some sort of physical presence with them. So they created an idol that they could look upon and, in, and so we have, we have a strong tendency to do this with idols, and I'm I'm not sure why we're so attracted to worshiping idols. Or I mean, I can re- we can think about that a little bit maybe, but we're we're really drawn to idols. But then Jesus becomes flesh, and he's not like the kinds of gods that we tend to worship. The gods that we tend to worship are the kind where, for example, we could purchase the power of the Holy Spirit, which uh, Simon tried to do from Peter, and Peter Peter did not. Peter didn't respond real positively to that that suggestion. <laughs> and I mean we, we want a god with which we can with with whom we can trade and we want a god of power who will give us the things that we want and so Je- so Jesus ke- Jesus keeps str- keeps fighting against in his life and in his death he keeps f- fighting against the view that he is to be this conquering son of god who's going to raise up arms against the Romans cast them out and make Israel a great political and uh, military power in the region or maybe over, over all the earth. He keeps fighting, you know, that's what they're looking for. And then he, he gets down and he washes their feet like a, like the lowliest slave. He allows himself to be taken captive. And you can imagine that that's sort of the final straw. If you're if you're still not clear and you're looking for the Son of God, the Messiah, to be a particular kind of conquering hero, and he gets captured and is starting to get beat, you can imagine that you too would probably, you, you could easily lose heart and flee, deny him several times, you know, so on and so forth. And so it's almost like God becoming flesh is the ultimate anti-idol. Mm-hmm. It his coming and living among us makes so that we have to we have to sort of look him in the face and again we don't necessarily have him in the flesh uh um, among us in the way that the disciples did where the the followers at second hand or mm-hmm. whatever as uh, as uh Climacus says uh the Kierkegaard pseudonym and or character I should say but we we have the records of his life. We have the testimonies about him, and so we have these stories about him. And we, it's it's those places where we consistently, at least I find myself consistently coming into conflict. Those stories consistently come into conflict with my way of viewing the world, which is really frustrating, but also really cool. Uh, yeah, be, because Christ keeps. I keep trying to force things into a particular structure that works for me. And then I read about Jesus and I, I really look, to, to be honest, I look at God's relationship with, with humanity all throughout scripture, but it becomes really sort of, I mean, literally, not, not, it becomes concrete in the way that mm-hmm. we use that term, broadly speaking, God's, God's interaction with humanity becomes concrete in the life and actions of the physical and spiritual, divine, human person of Jesus. And so Jesus, that little baby that appears on Christmas, is the ultimate breaker of idols. 
Yeah. Well, he it, it we no longer can play the hypothetical game of you know, well, what would God do? And we can, you know, argue about it and point to different things. You know, no, we, we can't can't do that anymore. There's a there's an actual person. There's an actual, you know, human, enfleshed human who did certain things and said certain things and acted certain ways and and treated people certain ways and, you know, very specific things that we can't, uh, we can't, wipe away for our own conveniences. Um, we, we have to deal with who Jesus, you know, was when he was on earth. And, and the goal is to be like him. And it's not like, it's not be like what we want him to be because who we want him, well, I won't. I won't accuse you, but who I want him to be looks a lot like who I already am, and mm-hmm. and it's interesting that Jesus didn't really get on his high horse and tell many people off that he was right and they were wrong. He 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 got on his low donkey. Yeah, he got on his knees and served, washed the feet of of the man who was about to betray him. In the at the Last Supper, I mean, that that is not me, and um, I wish it were, and I hope that each day, each year, I I can say that is becoming more, or that I am becoming more like that. Um, but doing that requires me to come face to face with Jesus, with and and not with my idea of Jesus. Jesus, the second person of the triune God, who sits at the right hand of the Father, I, I have to deal with the reality of who He is, and uh, as uncomfortable as that is, it, it's it's shaping me um, every day. I hope. Right, and so, and this is this is the 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 fascinating the two the two sides of what we're talking about here. Uh, to see Jesus and to see the way that he lives and the fact that he is human puts a, I mean, he's fully human, fully God. We have to keep adding the fully God, right? Otherwise they're going to say, oh, you're just saying he's human. But no, we're saying he's fully God, fully human. But he is, and if he's acting by the power of the spirit and he's living in utter dependence upon the father, then what he does is not far off from what we can do. And so there's a, there's a, it raises the level of expectation upon us because it raises the level of honor that we've been given. Christ didn't become a rhinoceros. He didn't become a spider or a lion or whatever. He became human, which that right there says that the human, the the, the nature that we've been given is appropriate for taking on the divine. We're created in the image of God, and so the perfect image of God takes on human flesh. Well, that means who you—I mean, we can talk about the fact that we're, you know, fully, you know, total depravity. You can throw these terms out, but—and there's this, you know, without Christ, we're we're lost in sin and so on and so forth, yes. But with Christ, what we can do should match the nobility that we've been given, and the nobility we've been given— is Christ himself. 
I'm getting a little fuzzy with my language here, but the point is, again, I've, I've mentioned this story a lot of times, but I, you know, when I taught at, the, at a Bible college, there's a lot of students who talked about how we're like, oh, we're, I'm just totally depraved, lost in sin, blah, 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 blah. They threw these terms out to, to undermine their nobility so that they would have no responsibility. It's a form of despair, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Joseph Pieper talks about this. Uh, it's a, it's related to acedia, uh that that sorrow about the good things of God and the desire to kind of have them gone because they call you to a level of activity or a level of greatness that you're that you wish you didn't have to you didn't have the responsibility to deal with. Well, we don't we don't have that anymore, right? There's no. I can't go. I, I shouldn't be moping around. I should be recognizing Christ's greatness and, and realize that that calls me to something magnificent. But at the same time, and this is how he began, Christ has come to us because God always reaches out to us. The nobility isn't something that we built and made ourselves. It's not a tower of nobility like the Tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. It is God coming down and in fact, arguably coming like physically down to one of the lowest points on the that is dry on the planet, and that is where the Jordan goes into the Dead Sea. It's one of the physically lowest locations that you can get without, I don't know, mining down or whatever. Jesus truly came down and came arguably down to the lowest physical place on the planet and then came down to one of the lowest deaths, lowest, you know, as a servant, so on and so forth so that we might be lifted up. And so you see these two things acting. Uh, we have been saved by grace alone so that we can live a nobly great life. And this all begins with that, well, that, <laughs> that poor virgin who gets the news or that noble virgin who gets the news. Yeah, I'm going to make your personal life really difficult, by the way. Uh, it actually begins with fear not. But yeah, you're going to have a kid and you're not even married. That's a, I mean, nowadays that's kind of the norm, but back then that was a big deal. Yeah. Which, which just further goes to show how low he was go, going. I mean, he, you know, the, the Jews were an oppressed people. And so he, he identifies with an oppressed people. And then he, he, he's born of, of Mary who is not married and being uh, uh, the child of an unwed mother is is kind of at at the bottom of of the Jewish tier, which is an oppressed tier to begin with. When the, you know it, it's 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 hard to um, you know when you when you start to put all these pieces together, it's like Jesus didn't really have anywhere to go but up. Yeah. Um, it, you know he and, and and the great thing though is as he went up he he brought us with him um, yeah in fact there, there i think there's even if i can just throw this out because i think it's interesting there's arguably if you look at if you look at how the fall is set up the the serpent isn't described in genesis 3 as the devil the serpent is described as a clever beast of the field and there's a sense in which we've become beast-like and I think I've talked about this before, but I think even maybe God clothing Adam and Eve in animal skins is sort of like dressing us up as what we've become. And so hmm. Jesus, when he's first born, he's put in, in a trough where animals feed. I mean, and there's so much representation of what's going on there, but it's almost like 
y'all are going to eat me and that's going to save you from this. And you're going to stop being beasts. That is part of what the kingdom is about. And, and we are in many ways, clever beasts, but you have to go through the stuff about sophistry and all this kind of stuff we talked about before. But uh, we are like clever beasts, but Christ has come to give himself so that we might be more and, and bring back to life that nobility that God placed on us by his grace alone in Genesis 1, when he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and made us in his image. So, I mean, the idea of giving gifts to one another, celebrating with, with family and friends, the holiday spirit, the Christmas spirit that all our stupid movies talk about. <laughs> there's something there's something sort of accurate about that. And this idea of of giving of oneself and finding joy in that. That's I think that's that's one of the main points of what's going on here. God is a self-giving God. God is a pours himself out in creation in giving us the Torah and get in in becoming and the second of the person becoming becoming flesh in the pouring out of the spirit it's all a pouring out upon us to fill us with this nobility and that nobility is largely represented in our giving of ourselves in the same way so the giving of presence is a perfect image uh, even if we're a little bit consumeristic about the whole thing <laughs> well and, and kind of the way that we celebrate children at Christmas, you know, more than adults is also a, a kind of an appropriate um, thing, but that doesn't mean you spoil your kids, but that's a discussion yeah. for another time. <laughs> but it, it's fun to watch the children love yes. Christmas. In fact, my wife just said that earlier about our six-year-old. She's so excited about Christmas. And it's just like, even if you're sort of exhausted and you know, you're just going to be, they're going to wake you up early in the morning and all this kind of stuff, you still, you can't help but get get that feeling of joy at seeing the joy of the children. And then, and then it kind of spills over and you, then you start getting a little bit giddy and happy. And that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, well, we hope that you all have a Merry Christmas that you are able to uh, enjoy that time. Enjoy the 12 days of Christmas uh, as opposed to just one day of Christmas. It, uh, a heads up on kind of uh, what's going on with the podcast. We're going to take a break, maybe a month, maybe two. Uh, when we come back, things might look a little different. Our schedule might look a little different, uh, but we, we want to keep doing this. If you got questions, if you got ideas, if uh, you know someone who would be a good interview for us, uh, shoot us an email at uh, wondering with a underscore where the A or O would be at tacticalfaith.com or uh, find us on Twitter um, at wondering wisdom with again, the underscore where the A or O would be in wondering. I've been, I've been told that underscore thing was a really bad move. So we might need to change that. Yeah. 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 It, it's that's where we're at. Well, I, I yeah, and that might, that might change. One of my favorite musicals is you're in town, the musical and they're talk about what can really kill a musical. And they're like a terrible name. And uh, <laughs> I, I, my my wife as much as travis and i like the name my my wife has told it me from the get-go it's not a good idea um <laughs> so so we who knows we might mix it up and change the name um but we're, we're still gonna uh, be putting out stuff uh we're just gonna take a break here for a little bit and again if you have ideas reach out we 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 want to 
make sure this podcast is meeting a need for people, uh, meeting a need for the church, and because um, that's where our heart is. And we we and while we're using a lot of philosophy usually to to express that, we hope that you you see that uh, philosophy is is a is a gift and a tool that uh, helps us uh, not just to say smart things or or be jerks to people and arguing arguing but um hopefully helps us become more like christ and to understand who christ is and and to understand uh, how he sees the world and try to see the world in the same way we thank you guys for listening uh, we enjoy doing this and we hope you enjoy it too with that being said i'm joel i'm travis and merry christmas Shine.